book of Acts chapter 5, we'll begin reading in verse 1. When you got it, say so. And the word of the Lord declares, it says, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young man arose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, yes, for so much. And Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. We're having some radio interference. <laughs> Someone else is trying to talk to you. Just don't listen to those voices. <laughs> Just pay attention to this one, the most clear one right now, okay? Then immediately she fell down at his feet, breathed her last, and the young men came in and found her dead and carried her out, buried, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. Mm. Father, we do honor you for your word that is truth. It is the absolute truth of our lives, Lord God. It is upon what we stand as your children. It is what we feed on as your sons and your daughters, my God. And we thank you so much for your blessing, Lord God, that you have given us, Lord God, to be able to hear your word. And I pray that in these next few moments, God, that I would decrease and that you would increase, God, that you would speak to our hearts, dear Lord, clearly. And God, that we would not only hear what you're saying, but that we would live it out, Lord God, that we would apply what we need to apply, Lord God, that we would be doers of your word, not hearers alone. And we thank you, my God, because your word does not just speak to us, but your word is inspired by you. And even as you speak your word to us, God, you empower us as we respond in faith, my God, to live out those things that you command us. We ask you to be glorified in these next few moments. In Jesus' good name, someone said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And so I want to recap a little bit because this will kind of bring us to where we are here in this particular portion of Scripture. Last week, as we were dealing with chapter 4, toward the latter part of chapter 4, and if you look at those verses with me, in verse 32, we'll start reading there. It says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart, say one heart, and one soul, say one soul. And then it says, Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common, say all things in common. And then it goes on to say, and with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Now there was there any, now there was, nor was there any among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. And they distributed each as anyone had need. And Joseph, or Jose, 
who, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having sold land, have, having land sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And so as we dealt last week, as I closed the message, I said this. I said that the marks of a spirit-filled, gospel-centered, and love-saturated community of believers there was a couple of things. One of them was unity. The other one was growth and compassion. And the other one was a growing in our giving. Those were three things that I said based on these scriptures that we read that mark a community that is being transformed by the gospel. And so as I thought about that, you know, throughout this week and as I was preparing the message, I said, well, do those things pertain to us today? Like, are those things something that as New Testament Christians we should go ahead and we should strive after or we should desire to do that? And I said, wait a second, let's look at our Bible and let's see what the New Testament says beyond the book of Acts. Because I said this, and I, and I continue to reiterate this because I want you to understand that the worst thing that we can do as we're going through this series in the book of Acts is to simply look at Acts as a historical lesson as though there is no application in it for us as though we have no need to respond to it we need to make sure that we're not sitting down like in a history class waiting for us to get the test so we can pass that's not what this whole preaching is about amen it is not about just to show you what the church did it is to help you have a picture of what the church should be like of what the church and how we should be living. And so the question is, should we be growing in unity? Should we be growing in compassion? Should we be growing in our giving? And so very quickly, we are gonna, you're going to hold your place in the book of Acts chapter 5, and we're going to look at some scriptures that will support throughout the New Testament these three things that should be marks of the Christian community. The first one is going to be unity. Say unity. And we're going to look at the book of Ephesians, and we're going to look at chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 1 to verse 3. That is the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, and we'll begin reading in verse 1 to verse 3. When you got that, say so. All right, I'll wait. There's only like three so's. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. When you got it, say so. And it says this. It says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity. Say the unity. He said to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And so we see clearly the Apostle Paul speaking later, uh, later on, and he's communicating to the church one of the epistles that we are expected to do what? That we are expected to be growing in unity, that this is not something that was just for the church in the book of Acts. Now turn over just a couple of books to the book of Colossians. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, and we will look at verse 14. And he says this here. He says, but above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. He talked about the bond of peace over there in, in, in the book of Ephesians. And what is going to keep us together is to be bound in love. Say bound in love. And so that's what's going to help us grow there. Now turn back to the book of Ephesians. So we dealt with unity. I'm only going to give you a couple of scriptures. I don't want to exhaust the scriptures because we want to get back to the book of Acts. But what I wanted to do was lay some foundation. I hope you're writing these notes down and that you're taking note of these scriptures so you can understand where it is that we should be growing <clears throat> as a community of believers. At Ephesians chapter 5, and look at verse 1. Ephesians 5 and verse 1, it says this. <clears throat> It says, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children 
and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering, <coughs> excuse me, and a sweet and, 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 a, and, a, and, a, and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. And so we are supposed to walk in love as Christ also loved us. That's how we're supposed to love one another. And so we grow in compassion as we look at the cross and what Jesus did for us. That's how we grow in care and in concern for one another because we're looking at what Jesus has done. We're not looking at commandments. I want to say this, and I hope I say this a few times today. The greatest thing that should be the motivation for our obedience is not the command itself, but it is the revelation of Jesus, who he is and what he has done. That is what motivates all of our obedience that is what should be the thing that moves us to obey it's not because I know that I shouldn't do this or I should do that it is because I know what Jesus has done and what Jesus has declared over my life and so Paul is saying imitate God how are you going to imitate someone if you're not looking at them how do you imitate someone you're not paying attention to? How do you imitate someone that you are not focusing on, learning from? And so we, we are called to be imitators of God. We are called to walk in love as Christ loved us. We're supposed to give ourselves for one another to be able to grow in this compassion. Now turn to the book of James. I love James. He's given us a lesson. He's, he's a little bit further back after the book of Hebrews. And he's given us a lesson on what faith looks like. In James chapter 2, we'll look at verse 14 to verse 16. James says this in verse 14. He says, what does it profit, my brethren? I, I want you to notice he is talking to the church. My brethren means the church. Amen? Amen? He's talking to the church. He's saying, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? Just, you know, just saying that he has faith, is that going to save him? He goes on to give an analogy or to paint a picture of what this would look like in the natural if we were to flesh this out. He's saying, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, or as we would say, God bless you, be warmed and be filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? And so he's not, he's not just painting some unrealistic picture. He's saying, listen, you call yourself believers, and if you continue on reading, he'll talk about pure and undefiled religion, taking care of widows and orphans, and he'll get into all of those things. But here's the point. The point that he's, trying, that, that he's communicating here is this is what real love. You really want someone to be in peace? Then you meet their need. You really want someone to experience God's blessing through your life, not just through your lips? Then what do you do? You see what the need is in their life and you minister to them. And so we should be growing in unity according to Scripture. We should be growing in compassion according to Scripture. Now turn to what I know will be your favorite one because I know you've loved these so far. Amen. Hallelujah. We're going to look at the one. Uh, um, Brother Sean, he, he said to me last week, he said, Bishop, man, when you were, he texted me this. He said, when you were talking about giving, he said, it, it, you could hear a pin drop in the church. Glory to God. I said, they were just attentive. They, they, they were just paying attention, glory to God. They were just making sure I was saying the right stuff. Amen, hallelujah, glory to Jesus. Y'all can laugh, loosen up a little bit. You know, we were singing, I am free. Some of y'all were doing this like I'm free. That's how y'all acting right now. Y'all free, amen? Anybody free in the house? I'm just saying we, we free. I'm, I'm going to show you what the scriptures say. I want us to make sure we understand what the Bible declares for us. So 2 Corinthians, please turn there with me, chapter 8. 2 Corinthians, chapter 8.
2 Corinthians chapter 8. When you got it, say so. Beginning in verse 1, it says this, and we'll read to verse 9. It says, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. Liberality is speaking of their giving. And so he says here, they had an abundance of joy on one hand, and they had an abundance, and, and they had a deep poverty, so they were broke. Amen? That's what this is saying. Say amen. amen. This is the truth. They were broke. They, they, they weren't balling. They weren't, you know, they, they weren't driving that car. They weren't living in that house. They, they, they weren't, it wasn't like that. They had Jesus. That's what they had. They had this abundance of joy because they met Jesus. And because they met Jesus, they had this revelation of who he was. And it says, for I bear witness that according to their ability, right, what they were able to do, yes, and beyond. Say beyond. beyond. Hallelujah. Beyond their ability, they were freely willing. Say freely willing. That's why I said you're free. Amen? You're free. If, if, if you, are, you are free, and you need to be free when it comes to all of this stuff, when it comes to growing in unity, when it comes to being compassionate, when it comes to giving, there is freedom in this. Don't get quiet because you're in bondage. No, you're not in bondage. Amen? We're not, we're not under the law. We're not over here trying to condemn. We're trying to communicate what is the church supposed to be growing in? What, I mean, what does the Bible command for us? And so he says they were freely willing. And look, 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 look at them. He says imploring us. They, they were begging us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of ministering to the saints. Let me paint this picture for you. They were broke, and Paul knew it. The apostles knew that these people were broke. They knew they couldn't afford this. So I'm assuming because if these people were begging, Paul was like, no, y'all are good. And these people were like chasing them down. Please let us give. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Glory to God. They were chasing them down. Please let me give. I want to give. I want to I not even do my I want to do as much as I can. So they're figuring out how they're going to do this. This was their heart. But, 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 there, but there's a reason for this. And not only as we had hoped, but they first, say first, gave themselves to the Lord. They first gave themselves to the Lord. They didn't come and say, okay, how much am I supposed to give? See, that's the problem with us. We put the cart before the horse. Right? Well, well, I got to give 10%. Listen, forget that. Forget I, I got it. I got it. I got it. That's the problem. It's what I got to give, and then once I give that, then I check that off, and I'm good to go. These people were like, no, no, no. The first thing that they did was they gave themselves to the Lord. That was the first thing that they did. And because they gave themselves to the Lord, then to us by the will of God. So first of all, they give themselves to Jesus. They recognize their need for him. They recognize that he is the solution to their salvation issue. They recognize this stuff. And then they say, we've given ourselves to Jesus, and now we are part of this body. So what do you need from us? That was their heart. Because they were changed by the gospel. And he goes on to say this. He says, so we urge Titus. That as he had begun, so he would be complete, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound, and here's the part where it gets to us, but as you abound in everything, in faith, say in faith, in speech, say in speech, in knowledge, say in knowledge, in all diligence, say in all diligence, and in your love for us, say and in your love for us, 
see that you abound in this grace also. See, no one would argue the point. You need to love. Yep, we need to love. No one would argue the point. We need to have faith. Absolutely, we need to have faith. But when it comes to giving, like, like Brother Sean said, it gets quiet. Right? And it's okay. It's, it, it, it's, it, it's a tough area. Many people that came to Jesus, they were talking to him about salvation and stuff, and right away he went to their money. Why? Because where your money is, that's where your heart is. It's a heart, it's a heart condition. And so, as the church grows in these three areas, as we grow in the grace and the knowledge of who Jesus is, in our obedience to Jesus, we need to look at the source of our obedience. Is it our religious duty that we're living out of, or is it our relational delight? We have to ask this question, and this brings us back to the book of Acts. You can turn back there to, to, to Acts chapter 5. When we look at this story here, we see something was amazingly happening within the church. These people were being rocked by the gospel. Their lives were being transformed by the gospel. The Holy Spirit was moving in this mighty and glorious way. Nobody got up there and said, oh, this is the law of the land. You have to, if you own a house, if you own property, you have to sell it. That isn't what was happening. The Spirit of God was moving people and saying, how can we make sure that everyone in this community of believers is taken care of? How can we make sure? Well, it's not going to be just by our 10% giving that we've been doing. Because you got to remember, this is in Jerusalem, so we're talking to people who were Jewish, who, who were Jewish, who were well acquainted with the laws of God, and they said, "You know what? Our ten percent giving is not going to suffice in order to minister to the needs of all of these people." And so, because their lives are being transformed, they were moved and they were compelled. And what happened was, one person was like, "Hey, man, I got this land, I got this house," and they sold it, brought the brought, brought the proceeds to the apostles, and said, "Here, you distribute it as the needs arise." And then other people began to see this. Other people began to see what was going on. And they were like, hold on a second. I have land that is, I don't necessarily, and I, I'm, I'm, only, I'm only interjecting this because I don't know if they needed the land or not. It doesn't give us specification if they owned these properties and lived in them and they were selling them. It doesn't give us that specification. What it tells us is that they own lands and they own houses and they were selling them. And so these people may have been coming over there saying we didn't need it or saying, you know what, we just want to live for the glory and honor of Jesus. And what we're going to do is we're going to sell all of that. And so here's the thing. Nobody was compelling anyone to do anything. Nobody was forcing anyone to do anything. They were motivated because of what? Because of the gospel. It wasn't a religious duty anymore. It was a relational delight. They understood what Jesus had done, and they were moved. They were moved with compassion. They were moved to be these extravagant givers that we talked about last week. They were moved beyond the norm. And, 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 but what was happening was, in the midst of all of this, and this is why you got to pay attention to this chapter, because if you want to talk about a time that there was no question to the power of the Holy Spirit moving in the church, it was this day. It was these days that there was no question. As a matter of fact, and this is what I, I love this part. As I read the scriptures about Ananias and Sapphira, you know, I read, you know, because you have different people in different camps, have different beliefs and stuff like that. And, you know, you, you have arguments about, you know, where's a person saved, you know, if they backslid or where they not and all that. And all those great arguments that come up that really, you know, are, anyway, but the point is, they come up, right? But here's the point. In this one, you, you can go through other scriptures. You know, you can talk about this person here, that person there, and they'd be like, that person was just never saved, depending on what you believe, right? In this one, you want to know, know what all my commentator friends say, no matter what camp they're in? There is no question these were people who were saved. Glory to God. Why is that important? 
Because we're not talking about some heathens who snuck in the back door. We're not talking about some people. This was a Holy Spirit-filled community. The Spirit of God was moving. There was no question about You didn't just walk up in there and just be like, well, I'm going to just be part of this. No, no, no. It wasn't happening like that. People were saying, I'm ready to give my life. Because remember what we learned? We learned that in those days when you made a declaration that you were going to walk with Jesus, guess what? It could cost you your life. It wasn't today. It might cost you a friend or two. It might cause you some ridicule. It might cause you some. No, no. It could cost you your life because there were people who hated the name of Jesus, as we'll see further on in this chapter. And so what happens is in the midst of this whole situation, the hearts are being checked. And and, and it's important for us as Christians, for us who are followers of Jesus, that we always allow the Spirit of God to search our hearts. That we always allow the Spirit of God to deal with us because God, and, and this is one thing that hit me really hard, Jesus desires our heart before he requires of our hands. Jesus desires our hearts before he requires of our hands. Before he asks me to do anything for him, before he asks me to give anything, he wants my heart. Because when he has my heart, he has everything else. But when he doesn't have my heart, there's going to be a battle. There is going to be a difficulty in me not just giving of my finances. How about giving of my life? Giving of everything. Well, that's my time. When Jesus has your heart, all of your time is his time. Well, that's mine. No, 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 nothing, nothing, everything becomes his. Not just from a conceptual place, but from a reality. And so in the midst of this, there is this heart that is being changed in the hearts of Ananias and Sapphira. And today I want to talk to you about church discipline. Say church discipline. It's something that is not practiced very often, you know, because we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Amen. You know, so we just, you know, I I love what one person said. I can't remember who it was. He said, but the church suffers from a bad case of niceness. Seriously. We, we just suffer from this bad case of niceness. Like, we never want to confront anyone about their sin. We never want to talk to... It doesn't mean we got to be judgmental. Listen, please hear what I'm saying. This is not saying you see someone in sin, you're going to hell. That is not what I'm talking about. I am not talking about being, you know, the, the, the holiness patrol. Hello, somebody. I, I'm, not, I'm not talking about that. That's being judgmental, and you need to be rebuked for that stuff. I'm talking about in relationship, in community with believers, when you are dealing with one another and someone is in error. We communicate this in our connect group, and we have made sure, and I, I let everybody know this. I said, listen, you don't need this community more than me. Did you hear what I just said? Because we may get it twisted and think that the only people that need to repent in the building or the only people that need to repent are the ones who are not pastors. Listen, I, I, I make it crystal clear. You, 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 you have the right to come and, and call me out in sin. It doesn't mean you have to be disrespectful. Just like I don't need to be disrespectful. We need to love each other. But the fact of the matter is church discipline is something that should occur. It's something that should be happening. And what God does, he's the one who initiates it in an, in an intense way. Hello, somebody. These people come up there, and they're acting like everything is cool. And then we see in verses 1 through, one through 5, we see that God strikes them dead. It wasn't Peter. In today's day, they would probably somehow, Peter would have ended up in jail. Because he did something wrong somehow that, that couldn't have been God. That was, you know, he killed this person some way, shape, or form. There would be some kind of legality. Anyway, it would be a tough situation. Say this with me. God's judgments are painfully necessary. 
See, the one thing that I notice here is that whenever the gospel is moving people to action, hear me please, whenever the gospel, whenever the spirit of God is moving people to action, the enemy is always seeking those whose hearts are available for his influence in order to contaminate the purity of what God is doing. Whenever the Spirit of God begins to move, you got to understand, the enemy does not want God's Spirit to just move freely in lives. Hello. And trust me, just like in the Garden of Eden, God was like, look, man, y'all got this thing. You just go out there, live, enjoy, and all of this stuff. Where was the enemy? He was creeping. He's like, let me get up on this tree. Let me have a conversation with them. Let me influence them. Let me contaminate the purity of what God is doing. He's always in opposition, and he's looking for people. And listen, you do not have to. I do not have to be a heathen who hates God, doesn't want to serve God. I can be a Christian lifting my hands, worshiping Jesus, and I can still be the one who gets my heart contaminated. I can still be that one. And, 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 and listen, it's not because you are more sinful than anyone. It is because we are all equally sinful. The Bible says to Christians in the book of Romans, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what the scriptures teach us. The scriptures show us that it is level playing ground. It is, we are all equal in the sight of God. And the beauty of this is, is that Jesus dies for what? So that way he can save us from our sins. So he can give us a new life so we can walk in a relationship with him. And so we can be discerning against those voices that we shouldn't be hearing. You know that voice you heard earlier, right? You heard that crackling sound. And here's what happens to us, right? And, and you know, especially if you, if you do any kind of sound, as soon as we hear the noise, it was funny because the first time it came on was when we were rehearsing this morning. And, and it, it, it was like as soon as we hit the first note, right, this thing started going... It started making a crazy noise. And I looked at Trey. He's in there, and, you know, he's, he's in that booth. He can't hear anything outside of the booth. So he depends on his headphones. So all of a sudden, he made this funny face like, what, what's going on? He didn't know what was happening there, right? And I knew what it was because I've heard it before, you know. I put on a pair of headphones, and I was like, man, this is like some Spanish radio station trying to cut up in here. I don't even know how it's doing it. It's not through a wireless thing. It's like a ground issue or something. And so here's what happens to us. When we're doing sound, what we begin to do is we begin to focus, okay, what is that? It's the same thing in our spiritual life. We start to hear some funny noise, and it really is not clear, and it really doesn't make sense. It usually starts in our emotions. And then what we try to do is we start to focus in on that. Not focusing in on everything else that's going on, on every, because it's hard to block that stuff out because it's annoying. Come on now. It's annoying. It's an issue that is going on inside of us. It's something that's happening. And what was happening here, let me explain it to you like this. Um, Ananias and Sapphira sit in the congregation. The, 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 the apostles are, you know, in, 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 in the, I'm, I'm not going to say they were necessarily in the front like this, but they were in a leading position in the building. And the Bible says people were bringing these things to them. Right? They were bringing the proceeds of their sales and stuff like that. Bringing it to the apostles' feet. And you know what the scripture says about this guy named, named Barnabas? Well, his name wasn't really Barnabas. It was, it was Jose or Joseph. I don't even know how to pronounce that. But anyway, the point is his, his name was changed by the apostles. And so here's what happens. The apostles are sitting here. This guy walks up to the front. And when he comes to the front, he's, they're like, I don't know what happened. But for some reason, they're like, we're going to change your name today. And then I said, the fire are sitting up in the congregation and like, wow, they got a name change. This guy, I, I want a name change. And they're like, man, we got property. We're going to sell this. 
The scripture says they go and they sell the property. When they sell this property, they come and they're like, hey, we're doing the same thing he did. Right? Brings it up before Peter. He's like, hey, Ananias. He's like, oh, yeah, here it comes. They're going to change my name. They're going to change my name right now. Ooh, glory. I'm sorry my wife couldn't be here for this one. He puts this thing down there because what was happening was the enemy is moving in a deceptive way and has their hearts wrong. And here is the thing that I want you to understand about this story. They didn't get struck dead because they kept back some of the money. Did you hear me? If you read the story with me, it wasn't because they kept back some. Peter was like, dude, wasn't this yours before you sold it? After you sold it, was it not still yours? All you had to do was come and say, hey, man, I'm going to give this portion. We'd have been good to go. Praise God. Your name wouldn't have got changed, but you would have blessed somebody. But this guy came up in there in deception. He was being, he wanted to look like, he wanted to play this game, make it seem like I'm on the same level, I'm on the same play. I'm, he wanted it to look that way. But his heart wasn't there. His heart wasn't there. There were issues, and God called him on it. He said, listen, I don't, want, I don't want to contaminate this community. And then the dude, he dies, right? Drops dead, and we see the first picture of youth ministry. It says the young men. That's what it said. That's what the Bible said. The young men came, and they grabbed him up. Talk about work. Be like, man, it ain't, 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 ain't prayer service. It ain't, it ain't, it ain't, it ain't, it ain't um, what's going to call it, unscripted. It, it, it's, not a, it's not a two-hour preaching by Minister Juan. Glory to God. Come on and give God praise. Hallelujah. For our youth minister, right? Glory to God. I love you, man. You know, people don't want to talk about stuff, man. It's the first message he preached. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he, just, he was just passionate. Glory to God. He had it all ready to rock. Glory to Jesus. But can we give the Lord a hand for a man of God that loves Jesus, right? But here's the thing. We did some coaching together, amen? So, you know, he's going to be all right from now on, amen? <laughs> but here, here's, here, here's, the, here's the thing. Youth ministry, right? These guys are like, man, we're hanging out. We're hearing the preaching like, go take the dead people and bury them, right? Over here, three hours later, right? Three hours later, the wife walks in the door. Now, she has an opportunity to repent. Ananias didn't get that. You notice the difference? You notice the difference in the conversation that was had? Ananias was like, dude, why would you, why would you lie? Why, why, why would you let Satan fill your heart with this? But he asked her a question. Is this how much you sold it for? So she has an opportunity to say, no, 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 no. That's no, 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 no. She could have put her head down and said, you know, no, it isn't. But instead, she stuck her head up, put her chest out, said, yes, it is. Said, oh, really? Why would you conceive? Why, 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 why would you agree to test the Lord? Those same feet are going to come and take you out of here and the youth ministry continue. They're like, my goodness, people are just dying up in this place. Come on now. Glory to God. See, I love this scripture because this scripture is the ultimate non-seeker-friendly scripture that there is in the Bible. As a matter of fact, it would almost seem like, and when you read this, I mean, we, we read it together, 
it would almost seem like, keep reading, let's look at verse 12 together. It says, And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch, yet none of the rest dared join them. But the people esteemed them highly. Look at that for a moment. It would seem as though God was saying, look, I'm drawing a line in the sand. It would seem as though God was saying, this is holy. My church is holy. My people are called to be holy. We're not, we're, we're not looking for people to play games. We're not looking for people to just join the crowd. We don't need all of that. My people are called to follow me. And the scripture clearly says they didn't want to join. No one wanted to join. But it goes on to say this. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both, of both men and women. Is that not a beautiful picture? It's a beautiful picture of what God does when his people live out the gospel. That's what it is. It is a beautiful picture of what God will do. It is that we should not be fearful to call sin, sin, because sin is that. It is sin. It is offensive to God. But we should also be very clear to communicate that Jesus died for those sins. Jesus died so that way you do not have to fear God in the sense of running from him, but you can fear God in the sense of standing in awe of him and in relationship with him. And so these people did not want to join. They did not want to become part of this. They, and, and, and the church wasn't trying to figure out a way to bring more people in. Hello, somebody. And next week we'll talk about why. But this week, they weren't trying to figure out what kind of program they could do. They, they were trying to figure, they, 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 weren't, they, they weren't trying to figure anything out. They were trying to grow in the gospel. They were trying to grow in the revelation of this new covenant that we have with Jesus. That's what they were trying to do. And as they were doing that, guess what God was doing? He was adding to the church. Because they were purely communicating the truth, living the truth together in community as we'll see as we move forward. And so the judgments of God are painfully necessary. God's discipline within the church, whether it's administered directly by him or through leaders, it will produce the fear of the Lord within and without. When you hear of sin being confronted, people, people get shaky. You know, I, I, I remember there was, there was um, there's... A woman, a woman or man of God, I don't remember right now exactly. But there was a person that they had this thing, this, this prophetic thing. Amen. Y'all know prophetic stuff means that they just, God gives them a word for some people. And it was like, whenever this person came around, no one wanted to be around. No one wanted to be around. Like, what do you have to hide? I thought you're living in the light. I thought you're walking with, well, I just want to be called out. What are you going to be called out on? I don't understand. I mean, I know I, I'm falling. I know that I'm, a, but I understand the gospel, right? I understand that God is, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm in Jesus. Hello, somebody. I don't always feel like I'm in him. Hello. I don't always act like I'm in him, but I know because of what the Bible says, not because of what I feel, that I am in him. Therefore, there's no condemnation. God does, listen, when God calls you out, it's because you have not been paying attention. Did you hear what I said? When God calls you out, it's because you do not want to pay attention. I have seen, listen, I have seen marriages fall apart. And this is so sad. I, don't, I, I hate to even say this. I have seen marriages of people that have sat in this congregation for years. Hear me preach on marriage and talk about marriage and loving and respect and all of these different things. And because they would not respond to God with a repentant heart, what happens? Marriages fall apart. Because of what? Because they won't repent. Because they won't acknowledge their sin. But here's the thing. When we are living out the gospel the way that we're supposed to, what happens is there is a right fear of the Lord. 
There is an understanding of who God is that begins to be manifested, not just in the church. Listen, if there's one thing that we desperately need in our days is a restoration of the fear of God outside of the church building. Because there was a time, see, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I think I'm, I'm 36, I think, I don't know, anyway. I'm somewhere around there. But anyway, I don't, I don't really remember a time when people were like reverent even when they weren't Christians. I don't remember that time. Some of you that are older than me, you might remember that time. You might remember that time when even though a person wasn't a Christian, they still were reverent. They still were moral. They still had some level of morality that we don't see today in our day. I was talking to my father. My father, he's, for those of you that don't know, my father is incarcerated. I was sharing with him yesterday, and he was talking to me about one of these camps. Um, you know, when I say camps, I'm not talking about like a summer camp. I'm talking about another prison, okay? Anyway, he, he went because he's had like three heart attacks, and so he's gone to have like three heart surgeries and stuff like that. And when he was in this one camp, he was talking about like the, 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 the population, and he said the population that is in there are these younger kids that are going into these jails. And he was talking about the levels of murders that are taking place among these kids. And he said, you know what they're killing each other for? He said they're killing each other over cookies, over cigarettes. Now listen, now, he, now, now this, this is what, what I'm going to say is really sad. My dad has been in the system, in and out, since I was a baby. So he has seen this system get progressively worse progressively worse and he's seen even criminals who would get incarcerated still had some level of respect today not so it's not so and so what we need the only way that that happens is when we start living out the gospel when we start loving Jesus as he calls us to love him Here's the beauty of this. The fruit of God's discipline is his spirit moving, lives being changed, and the gospel being preached faithfully. And let us not forget the enemy opposing it. Because as we live out, as God brings discipline into our lives, lovingly as a father, as Pastor Chad prayed this morning during our leader's time of prayer, he was saying, I said, God, we thank you because you discipline us as children. You do not leave us as those who are fatherless. Hallelujah. And this is the beauty of our God. And so this discipline that comes, it brings some beautiful things, but the enemy is always going to oppose it. Say this with me. Say, opposition to the truth will produce counterfeit discipline. Now, here's what I want you to notice. Look at verse 17 with me. But I want you to notice the first thing we talked about is that the Spirit of God is moving, and there was genuine, gospel-centered giving that was taking place, extravagant giving. And what did the enemy do? The enemy got involved in that, and he brought up what? A counterfeit giving. There was still something spiritual going on because the Spirit of God was moving in the hearts of these other people, and the Spirit of the enemy was moving in the hearts of the other ones that, got, that, that ended up dying. So we see the Spirit of the enemy in operation. And then what we have here, again, as we see this in verse 17, look at verse 17. It says, And the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation. And laid hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. Now look, they just got locked up for preaching the gospel. Look down with me, with me to verse 22. It says, but when the officers came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported saying, indeed we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the high priest, the captains of the temple, and the chief priests heard these things, they wondered what the, out, what the outcome would be. 
So one came and told them, saying, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. Look at verse 40. And they agreed. We're going to go back to all those other verses. I'm skipping them for a reason. Verse 40 says, And they agreed with him. And when he had called, when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. All of these verses that we just looked at, we see the opposition of the enemy to the gospel being preached. This is about the gospel. This is about Jesus. They were upset. They're like, look, man, you're making us look bad. We are the religious leaders. And I want you to notice that they got locked up. There was, there was an opposition. There was a counterfeit discipline that was taking place. Because we see someone who gets locked up, and automatically we're thinking, man, there got to be something wrong. Pastor Chad was telling me about a guy who owns a museum. It's, I think it's called the Creation Museum. And what happened was they are trying to, they, they, they're, they're accusing him of tax evasion, and that's the reason why he's locked up. That's, that, 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 that's, what, that's what is, the, I, don't, I don't know if that crime is accurate or not. Here's the point. The point is, we see someone get locked up, we think they did something wrong. We don't know what it is, we're not totally sure, but man, you know, the, the legal system's not that bad. They're not going to lock someone up for doing nothing. Hmm. What have they done? They hadn't done anything. They just preached the gospel. They were just communicating the truth about who Jesus was. And so, we have to understand is that the enemy wants to hinder the advancement of the gospel. I want you to hear what I'm going to say, okay? And this may offend some, and it's really not my intention to do that. The enemy can care less about the external growth of the church, meaning numbers. He can care less about how big your building is. He can care less about how many people attend the church. He can care less about all of that. What he cares about is that there is no gospel transformation taking place in lives. Because when you have those people that are coming together, being transformed by the, by the gospel, they are going to be deployed by the gospel, which is Jesus, to go out and bring transformation to community. And so the enemy doesn't care that we have a good time. Uh-uh. He doesn't care that we can get each other together. He does not care about all of that stuff. What he cares about is when people are being transformed by the gospel. Because that is when you see the whole, it's, it's, he said, they accused him, they said, man, you are filling all of Jerusalem with your doctrine. How amazing is that? They were in there and they would not shut up. They continued to preach the gospel even after, after they were threatened. And what happened? The whole of Jerusalem was being filled with the gospel, the teaching of Jesus. That's what we're supposed to be doing. That's what it means to be on mission. That's what these people were. That's why it says they were meeting from house to house. What were they doing? Talking about Jesus? I'm going to see at the end of this chapter exactly what was going on. But the issue is this false, this false or counterfeit discipline rose up. And it may cause us to feel like, man, am I doing something wrong? It's vital for us that our lives be centered in the gospel, that we be filled with the Spirit, and that we be saturated in love to ensure that we do not confuse God's discipline with man's disapproval. Did you hear me? It is important that we know the difference because when, it, when you and I are living for the glory of Jesus, when you and I are living for his honor, for his praise, 
The enemy is going to rise up to try to make you think you are doing something wrong. For some of you, you got the email that I sent out with a link, and it was to a, it was, it was to a YouTube video. And I want to say this. I have no issue, good or bad, with, with Tebow. You know, Tim Tebow made a decision not to go to this particular church. I have no issue with that. That's his personal decision. Whatever his reasoning was, that's between him and Jesus. So I'm not talking about that. What I, what I know is that when I saw the video clip, the video clip, this, this is Pastor Jeffress, and he is the one from First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas. And, he, and he, 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 he amazed me when he got up there and the things that he said. He said, you know what? He said, somehow, he said, we are anti-gay. Listen to what I'm saying now. Somehow, we are anti-gay because we believe that sex should be between one man and one woman in marriage. He said, somehow, that, some, some, somehow we're anti-gay. He said, somehow, we are anti-Semitic, meaning anti-Jewish, because we tell anyone, whether you're Baptist Pentecostal, Catholic, Jew, Muslim, you have to put faith in Jesus to be saved. He said, I broke my own law. He said, I broke my own rule this week. And he said, and I, I was reading all these blogs about me. He said, I didn't realize how horrible of a person I was until I read all these blogs. <laughs> Here's the point, church. We need to understand you and I are not supposed to be the bad guy. We're not. We're supposed to love people like Jesus did. And you know what Jesus did? When Jesus, listen, when Jesus had the conversation, I, I want to go to the conversation with the woman at the well. When he had the conversation with the woman at the well, he didn't have no hair on his tongue. She wanted to talk about, you know, other, he's, he's like, hold on a second, go get your husband. She's like, I have no husband. He's like, oh, you said the truth there? Because you've had five and the one you got now is not yours either. Hello? A.K.A. you a hoochie. I'm, I'm just saying, that, that's, that's, what he, that's what he was saying. He's saying, yo, you, you, you loose, man. I mean, what, what was he communicating? I mean, that was a, that, uh, ladies, how many of y'all would have been insulted? Seriously. Like, who is this guy? Right? But you know what she says? She says, surely you're a prophet. You know what that, you know what that symbolized? He confronts her sin, and she recognizes the solution in him. If you don't confront sin... You never get the solution. You never get to that. And so the point is, for us as Christians, you don't have to beat people up. No, you don't have to do that. You don't have to go, and, but you need to be firm. I met a brother the other day, and we, we sat down, and we had lunch together. And he was talking to me about what he does. And, I, and I'm going to challenge you because this is something that, as I was on my way to go see him, I was thinking, how do we impact our communities? How do we impact our neighborhoods? And I was thinking, man, what about if we just walked around, and as we saw our neighbors outside, we just asked them, hey, man, how can I pray for you and your family? That's it. Just ask them how you can pray. It's, an it's, it, it's, it's a non-offensive um, petition. You're not trying to ask them anything. Look, I just want to see the benefit in your life. How can I be that? And that's what he does. He goes and he knocks on doors. He goes into different neighborhoods, knocks on doors with, you know, with, with, with groups of people, and they just ask people, how can we pray for you? How can we pray for you? And he, and he said, and that's the goal of what they do. And he's like, look, man, he said, straight up, he said, I'm not, he said, I'm not a coward. When the questions come up, I'll deal with the, I'll deal with the issues. He said, but I'm not coming there to beat you up with this. That is the place that we have to come to. But we have to be just like Jesus was. He was straight up. He was direct. And guess what? Results happened. And you know what the result was? It wasn't just big followings. Jesus could even G, I said the devil could care us. Jesus didn't care about big followings either. Jesus was not impressed by all of that stuff. People started walking away from him. He was like encouraging the rest. You want to go too? Seriously. 
He, was, he wasn't trying to keep, he was trying to make sure people were following him. That was it, for the right reasons, with the right heart. That was the heart. That has to be the heart of the church. And the church is us, amen? So there is opposition. The third thing, and this is my last point that I will make, say this with me. God fights for the furtherance of the gospel. God fights for the furtherance of the gospel. Look at verse 19 with me. Verse 19 says this. It says, but at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest and those who, and, and, and those who had came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them be brought out. Look at verse 29 to verse 32. Verse 29 says this. It says, But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than man, that the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him, God is exalted to the right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And when he's saying Israel, he's saying all of you. He died. You murdered him, but he killed you because he wants you to be able to be saved. He wants you to be able to receive forgiveness. He doesn't want you to be separated anymore. This is what the gospel is. He's saying, I die. Jesus died for you so that way you could have this eternal life. He's saying that to everyone that is there. And he says, and we are witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Look at, and, and, and look at verse 33 to verse 42. He says, and when they heard this, they were furious. Listen, remember what we talked about. There's always two responses to the gospel, yay or nay. Their response was nay, nay, nay. They did not need Jesus. They did not want the gospel. They rejected the gospel. Another opportunity for them to hear it. And guess what? The message didn't change. God didn't inspire Peter, change the message. He didn't do that. He said, preach the truth. Preach the truth. He goes and does that. Then the Bible says this, I love this. Then one in the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in, high, held in respect by all the people, and commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take heed to yourselves that you intend what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. And this man, Judas of Galilee, rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if, these, if, for if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. goes on to talk about what the what the apostles did they were they, they were beaten for this and verse 41 says we already read verse 40 but verse 41 says so they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name 
And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. And so here is what we understand. As the enemy strives to divide the church, to disgrace the church, and to decrease the church, God in this picture, in, this, in these verses, we see God dispatching angels, we see God emboldening ministers, and we see God raising up voices of defense from the least likely places. Church, if there's one thing we have to understand, God knows how to fight. God knows how to fight for us. And the biggest thing that we have to do is we have to learn to trust Jesus to fight our battles. We have to learn to trust him and put faith in the gospel. Jesus didn't just die just to save you. He died to fill you with his spirit. He died so that way you and I could go out as witnesses to the gospel. And he desires more than you, more than me, more than anyone else that his gospel goes forward in power and glory. And listen, I don't, want to, I, want, I don't want to sell you false hope. God is going to fight for you. That doesn't mean that you might not take one for the team. Hello? I mean, the Bible did say they got beaten. This wasn't like, you know, they, or the first time they got a threat. We could all handle a threat. Or whatever. You can say what you want to say. Now, they were on the verge of death because they were going to kill them. But they said, oh, they ain't, they're not going to walk. They're not going to disrespect us. And so they beat them. They beat him. And what do they do? Oh, man, we got we to go. We, we, we got to be out. We, we ain't going to get beat no more. What does the Bible say? The Bible says they rejoiced. It says they rejoiced that they were able to share in the sufferings of Jesus. They rejoiced. There's a scripture in the book of Nehemiah, and it says that the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. It doesn't mean every situation is going to be joyful. When that scripture is written to Nehemiah and them, they were discouraged, they were mourning, they were upset, and the prophet is saying to them, listen, you guys, don't mourn, don't be upset. Give to those who have need and rejoice. The joy of the Lord is your strength. But if you're not focused on Jesus, you don't have his joy, therefore you don't have the strength. If you're not growing in this grace like we're supposed to, if we're not learning to focus on, what are you supposed to be focused on? What are we called to be? We are called to be disciples. We are called to be those who follow and glory in Jesus. The glory of a disciple of Jesus is that the name of Jesus is lifted high. That is the glory of the disciple. Life is going to be tough. Amen? Life is going to be hard. Situations are going to be difficult. People are going to be hard to deal with. There is going to be all kind of opposition to whatever God has called us to do as his people. That is not questionable. But here is the thing. God promises to be with us if we will trust him. That's what he promises. He promises never to leave us nor forsake us. He sends his disciples out and says, go make disciples. And lo, I am with you until the end of the age. What he's saying is, I will always be with you. As you live on mission with me, I am with you no matter what it looks like. No matter what threats have risen up, no matter what hardship has come your way, no matter what has happened as a result of you living for the gospel, I'm there. I'm there. And so here becomes the question for us, what is your glory? What is your glory? What is it that you glory in? 
What is it that is the overwhelming thing that drives you? That's what I mean by that question. What is the overwhelming thing that drives you and motivates you? Because we all find our identity in different things. And this comes down to an identity issue. That's what they had. They, had an identi- they didn't have an identity issue. They didn't have an identity crisis. They knew what? They said, we, these are the things that we have seen and the Holy Spirit testifies. That is what we know. They knew who they were in Jesus. So when they got beaten, they said, look, we're ready to die. We know who we are in him. The question is, do you know who you are in Jesus? Do you know who you are after the cross has made effect in your life? Do you know who you are? Have you found your identity in him? Or are you trying to find your identity in other things? Are you trying to find your identity in other stuff? What is your glory? Be real. What is your glory? Because when you look at these apostles, you look at a guy like by the name of Paul. I mean, this guy, you could beat him and he was like, I'm good to go. You give him much, glory to Jesus. You take, glory to Jesus. You could do nothing because his identity was not in anything except Jesus. So where's your glory? Are you like Ananias and Sapphira? You know what their glory was? Their glory was the applause of men. They had some pride issues going on. They had some things that were, they, they were more concerned with looking the part than living the part. They didn't have their identity in him. Where do you find your glory at? Maybe maybe, maybe you find your glory in your accomplishments. Maybe that's where you find your glory. In the things, maybe in your economic status, maybe in your position in your job. Maybe it's in your parenting. That's where you find your glory. Maybe it's in your marriage, but where is it? Here's the point. The point is, Jesus must be loved above all else, before all else. That's what should happen. That's what is supposed to happen for us. And if, and, if, and if Jesus is not your glory, you're not going to live for the gospel the way that he calls you to. And that's what this is about. Are we living for the gospel, for the glory, and for the honor of Jesus? Stand to your feet and bow your heads, please. the question is, what is your glory? I guess more simply put, it would be, what is it that you are living for? Holy Spirit, search our hearts. Expose the idols in our hearts, God. humble our hearts before you today. We acknowledge you, God, as holy. We acknowledge you as righteous. We need you, Jesus. 
need you, Jesus. We need you, God. I'm going to open up the altar. The altar is open. If you need prayer, you can come forward. One of the leaders will pray with you. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus today, the Bible says call on him. The Bible says call on him. Put your faith in him. Trust him. That's what the scriptures say. If you want someone to pray with you and you don't know him, you can come to this altar as well. If you recognize that there's some things that you need to deal with, I invite you to come forward today. I invite you to come forward and let the Spirit of God deal with your heart. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you so much, God. I thank you so much for this opportunity to preach your word. Father, I thank you for each person that is here today. God, you know where they're at, my God. You know what their situations are, Lord God. You know what the difficulties are, Lord God, in their lives. Heavenly Father, and above all things, dear God, you know where we are and what is our glory, God. You know if you are our glory or not. And so we pray today, my God, that you would liberate us, my God. I, I know I pray for myself, Jesus, that you would liberate me, Heavenly Father, from any of the idols that try to pull my attention from you, God. Father, today I pray for those who may be broken, my God. I pray for those who are hurting in this place, Jesus. I pray that you would put your hand of healing upon them, God. Jesus, you died so that way we could be healed of the sins against us, my God. That way we could be restored to right relationship with you, Jesus. God, I pray that you would glorify your name in them, my God. Heavenly Father, have your way. Heal brokenness, God. Save and deliver and set free, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you for this. And I give you all glory and I give you all honor. In Jesus' good name, someone said, come on and give God a hand of praise. He's worthy.